Um, hey, this weekend is a really cool weekend um, because we've been on this journey as a church, and really it's been like a like an eight-year journey as a church. Um, it's been awesome, and God has done so many wonderful things, and we were in a hotel, and then we were here, and you can see the pictures, kind of the timeline of different things and uh, that we have around the room, and, um, and, and so, but now we've kind of come to this place. God provided land through, through us. I mean, we gave, but God blessed it, multiplied it, provided the land, um, and, and then for the last couple of years, we've been praying about when would be the light, right time to move, and so, so the last five weeks, we've been, or the last four weeks, we've been talking all about this. And and hopefully, if you've missed any of these messages, hopefully you're going online to YouTube and you're watching them or on the website or on the app. You can watch them or you can listen to the podcast, however you do that. Hopefully, you've taken the journey with us. But, um, but for, for where we're at today, this is commitment weekend. It's huge. It's a huge weekend. Um, and, and I've told you about this for the last two or three weeks. It was coming. Uh, and then I sent an announcement out this week via email. And I just said, hey, this is, this is commitment weekend. This is where we as a church family are going to bring our commitments to arise to, to, to the Lord, essentially. And this is where we're going to, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think you, know, you, know what, you know what we all respect um, and, and I think there is just a blessing on it in a way is when people walk their talk. Amen. Are you with me? Like, don't you have a respect for someone that just will walk their talk? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have been talking about what we want God to do through us for four weeks. And today we walk it out. Yeah. Right. And it's a short walk. It's right up to here to make our commitment, but we're going to walk it out together as a family. And I'm excited. And I'll tell you more about that. But, but um, to me, I think there's something going on because I, I feel like for me, um, this is that step where we put roots down in, in our community. See, I, and, and we, we know we're permanent. We know we're going to be here. But for our community, I mean, let's just be real. In Longview, there's a church plan a week, right? And there's a sign up on every piece of property coming soon, some church, right? And most of them don't make it. So this is about reaching our community and we need to put down roots and say, no, we're here and we're going to be here and we're always going to be here for you and your family. And that's kind of what this step is about for us as a church. It's putting those roots down and say, no, we're, we're staking our claim that this is our community, our city, our town, and we're going to start determining what goes on here spiritually. And so to me, this is, a, a, is so um, significant. And so... <clears throat> I really want you all to be a part of that. And I've been challenging you and all that. But before we go any farther, some of our leaders have already come together and made their commitments. And, uh, and I'm not going to tell you the amounts, but we're already getting testimonies. Like it's been really crazy. Um, there's a, a family we were, uh, and I've told you some of their story and eventually they'll tell their own story, but, but like they made their commitment, it stretched them. And then that, you know, like right after that, they got a check in the mail, they signed a new contract. And then, and this was the thing I loved. I got this email. It doesn't come to me, but they were, the staff was telling me about it. <clears throat> But I got this, they were telling me about this email that this family loves to put on a, a, like a crawfish uh, boil, you know, and, but they decided not to do it because their commitment to arise. And, and so they, they just canceled it. Something they love to do, they canceled it. And, and then we got this email with a picture, um, but someone gave them crawfish for free so that they could do their crawfish boil, right? Like God cares about the little stuff. That's why I love God because he cares about the little stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they were okay, like bummer, we're not gonna do it because this is more important. I mean, their priorities and value in the kingdom. And then God's like, well, you put me first, I'll add even crawfish to you. You know what I'm saying? God may be Cajun, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, and then the, we were away this week, uh, Pastor Mark and I were in some meetings at Gateway uh, Network meetings and <clears throat> he's like, hey, you got to check this out. And he got another email that this couple, the wife had been called into the boss's office and, and was given a raise. And, and I, this is the story I want everybody to have. This is why I want everybody to walk through the process of, of just honoring God and discipleship and stewardship is a part of discipleship. It is. Um, if stewardship wasn't a part of discipleship, God wouldn't ask us to give. If it didn't have value to make us more like him or to make us more like he created us to be, God doesn't ask us to do things that doesn't have some type of redemptive value. You understand that? 
So everything God will ever ask you to do has redemptive purpose. And so when God asks us to give, it's only because it has redemptive value. God doesn't need the money. Are you with me? And so, and so it's a part of our discipleship. In fact, do you think love is important to God? Yeah. Love, the word love is in the Bible. Guess how many times? About 750 times love is in the Bible. Now let's take the word give, right? Some people don't think it's as important to God, but give is in the Bible 2,100 and some odd times, three times as many times as love give is in the Bible. It has to have some, and by the way, most of the, most of the time when the Bible talks about giving, it talks about the effect, the impact, the blessing that it has on the giver. I think Jesus said this way, it's more blessed to, than to, yeah. Why? Because receiving is a blessing today, but giving changes me so I can be blessed forever. And so, and so, Stewardship decide. That's why I want everyone just walk through the process. I want 100% commitment. Yes, we know like the number's big. Got it. But but we're not worried about the number. We're worried about the process of discipleship in our lives. So I want to show you this clip. This is from some of our leaders who've already gone through the process and made their commitments. Uh, and then we ask them a couple of questions. And so uh, check this out. And then I'll be back. Pathway has been a safe place for us. It's allowed us to kind of step into some leadership and um, do it in a safe place. Uh, we're, we're so grateful for the opportunity and we just would love for everyone to be able to experience the freedom we found. The missing something in our marriage was really, we couldn't deny it anymore. So we Googled a church in Longview. Um, we had really dabbed, <laughs> dabbled in, in all the rest of them. And so Pathway was on our list and we visited and I would say that is really where um, our life and our happiness and our joy began. Yeah, really, the, the minute we walked in the pathway, we, we knew we were home. God has connected us um, to our purpose through Pathway. We didn't really know where we fit in or where we belonged or what we should be doing as a family, as a couple. And um, we started leading a life group. We started serving women's ministry, children's ministry, men's ministry, um, anywhere God has really called us, it has been because of Pathway. Pathway is special. Um, it's, a, it's a perfect mixture of the Word and the Spirit. We love having a place to go where we can support each other and be supportive um, by others. And so we just want to grow with everyone the way we, God designed us to grow and to be leaders in that aspect too, so that we're leading by example and our boys get to see and live the life that God designed us to have. God has given us family through Pathway. Um, in times in our life, um, when we first started coming to Pathway, we had um, something really big happened with our daughter and Pathway stepped in as the family who helped us support us financially and emotionally and spiritually um, and that's I guess I mean we love Pathway it's our home <laughs> What we decided to commit to the Arise uh, was, and is a big sacrifice for us. Um, but we looked at each other and said, we're really excited about this. We cannot wait to see what God does with this. Yeah. What we gave tonight uh, is definitely a next step in our giving. It's really stretching in a lot of ways, but I can tell you that the surrender and the joy that I feel through the surrender of our finances and our life uh, to arise, I mean, I'm pretty excited about it. A lot of trust, a lot of faith. We're making a commitment because God told us to, um, and we just want to be faithful and obedient to what God said and give exactly what He says to give and trust in Him. When you look at finances and you're like, where's it going to come from? But you know, he's going to take care of you because he always has. We're stepping out together here and, and, uh, and I feel amazing about it. We envision um, five years from now when we look back and see and say, look where we're at now and where we came from. And, and we really are excited about looking back at that and saying we were a part of that. We contributed to that, a part of what God's doing. We, we are, are rising. rising. We're, We're excited, excited about our eyes.
I am arising. I'm excited about what God is doing. We're We're arising for our family, family, our community, community, and and our world. We We love Pathway. We love Pathway. Um, that's it's uh, our commitment tonight is about uh, three steps for <laughs> forgiving. Um. Plus, we don't want Pastor Marty preaching seven services a weekend. <laughs> I love Pathway. Do you want to say anything? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can I do that one again? I didn't like my. He's like, I didn't like, I didn't like it. It felt fake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, so proud of all our church, proud of our leaders, proud of this moment. And uh, Pastor Marty doesn't want to preach seven services a weekend either. Um, There is a limit to his body and what it can do. I know when you're looking at it, you're thinking this guy, you know, could be like a ninja warrior. Um, But the truth is, I'm, you know, I'm not quite there. So anyways... (laughs) Um, but man, I, and I, and I want to brag on our leaders and, and some of them were making commitments and, and I don't, I'm, I don't look through all that. That's not my department, but pastor Mark was telling me just different ones. And he said, man, most of those, most of the leaders, some of the leaders that came and, and, and that were able to come, he said, they were all moving to extravagant givers. He said, um, he said, man, some of them were moving from commitment, you know, where maybe last year they gave $5,000 and their commitment um, to arise was like $25,000. And, uh, I, and when you see that, you know, in couples that maybe they would given $3,000, uh, the year before and their commitment to arise was $18,000. And you start, you start seeing those type of things. Um, and you just know people are getting it. They're getting the vision. They're getting that this is about reaching people. And, and I want everyone to give. I really want everyone to give sacrificially because I think there's a blessing that comes from that. Um, but I want God to lead you in that. And so we've been, we were talking about this giving ladder. They're going to put that on the screen. But, but you know, we said everyone starts at potential giver. And that's where you could give, but you haven't started giving yet. Uh, no, no harm, no foul. It's where we all start. Emerging givers where we kind of give sporadically. Um, consistent givers where there's a consistent amount that we're giving and trusting God with. And then tithe givers, what the Bible says, the first 10% of our income. So that's the first 10% of every dollar. It's, it's really just a dime on every dollar. That's all it is. But the first dime on every dollar goes to the Lord. And then there's the extravagant giver where you're giving even above and beyond that. And you know that's where Julie and I are. We've, we've made our commitment. It, it's, it's not a large number. It's the largest number we've ever committed. You could buy a few cars with it. Um, and, and we're okay to give that. We lead sacrificially. In fact, I can share a testimony with you. We, we gave the first offering on our commitment, just the first seed. Uh, we believe leaders go first. And li- literally within a week, it was returned back multiplied to us uh, from a place we weren't expecting at all. And, and so to me, I want everyone to walk through the discipleship process of meeting with God, deciding, okay, God, where I know where I'm at on this ladder, but God, where are you calling me to be on this ladder? And what steps do I need to take? And then at the end of the service today, we're going to make our commitment. So let me walk you through the commitment card one more time. I know with our church, we have a lot of people in and out. And so I just want everybody to understand. So um, on the two-year Arise commitment, it's, it's a 24-month commitment to fund the totality of our vision. So running and operating the church. By the way, all this stuff is in your book. You probably know that by now. But running and operating the church, what we're going to give away to outreach, um, uh, you know, and then... Um, and then the building itself. And so all of that, and all the numbers are in the book if you want that, are there online at mypathway.church forward slash arise. But here's a commitment card. And just what I or we normally give in a year. And so if you're wondering what you give in a year, it's very easy to determine. Just look at last year's contribution statement, like what you did, what you used to get your taxes. You get a giving statement from Pathway or you can download yours from online. And so you should be able to quickly determine this is what we gave last year. And then with this, the next thing is, is what is God wanting us to add to that? In other words, what step are we needing to make? And so we said, hey, what if Bob and Nancy uh, were in our church and, and they gave $5,000 last year to Pathway and we celebrate that, they're consistent givers, but they feel like God is really calling them to be tithe givers and they have a household income $100,000 a year. Well, then right here they'd say, okay, we gave five, but we need to get to 10, so our additional giving is gonna be five. Now our new normal giving, 
giving. In other words, now we are tithe givers, so our new normal giving is $10,000 a year. But this is a two-year commitment, and so you multiply that times two, and you get um, $20,000. And then on week seven, we're gonna come. That's our Big Give Sunday. That's where we're gonna get get it started, give our first fruits offering. And they're Dave Ramsey people, and they say, hey, we we feel like God's calling us to give $10,000 out of our savings so now Bob and Nancy start at five, then they added five, they were at 10, times two, they were 20, and then 10,000 from savings. So their arise to your commitment is $30,000. And that's how you walk through this. And hopefully it, there's a copy of that in your book. Hopefully you came prepared today. If you get to the end of the service and you're not prepared for whatever reason, you, you can make your commitment anytime this week, really. I mean, you can mail it in, you can email us, um, you know, you can take a picture of your commitment card and email it in if you want to. Um, but you, you may, I just want all of our church, again, the goal, first goal, 100% participation in the process. Uh, and we're going to let God change and transform our lives as we follow him. And we're all going to have our own stories. Does that make sense? And so I'm really, listen, I'm excited about this weekend because but it's not about the money. You, you have to understand my heart in this. Like, I, I'm, I'm really okay where I'm at in life, right? I like me and I like where I'm at. Um, it, for me, this is about our church saying yes to God, you can use us. And it's about our church stepping out. We've said, okay, we want to help everyone believe, belong, become, and build. And this is where we say, okay, we're going to make room for more people. We're going to take the step. We're going to go first, right? Does that make sense? And so that's what this weekend really is about. It's about a church saying yes to God. And to me, that's the significance of it. And so I, I hope you're ready. I, it's, it's, it's been fun all weekend, but I hope you're ready. hope you're going to make your commitment. And so um, we're going to do that at the end, but right now I'm going to preach. Is that all right? Yes. I've got a good word. And so why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to um, Galatians chapter three, and, and this is week five of this series, Arise, and we've been talking about um, Abraham and how his life is really a picture of faith. It's almost a blueprint of faith that we could live by, and so we've been talking about different defining moments that he's had and trusting God and, and our tribal anointing, and then last week, last week was probably the hardest message in this whole series uh, because we talked about the power of surrender, right? And that's not always fun to talk about. Can we just be honest? We kind of like to live our life, do our thing, right? And I mean, let's just be honest. Like you can lie to yourself, but you know, let's not lie to each other. All right. So, um, but, but we, and, but here's the thing about last week's message. Last week's message was the hardest message, but it is the one that will produce the most fruit in your life. So it just, honestly, if you haven't watched it, you can go back and watch it, but it will produce the most fruit in your life. But this week, this week, this message is just about having fun. Does that sound good? This, this one's the fun message. Like, I can't wait to preach it to you. And so uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Time out, time out. If you're here and you're not a Jew, this scripture's important. Because you're a Gentile, right? Okay, so, so the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, right, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. Time out, time out. This is such a great scripture. Like, I hope you get what this is saying. This is saying that God preached to Abraham the gospel that through his life, not only would there be a race of people, the Jews, but that he would graft in the Gentiles and that we would all be blessed because of what he's doing. How many would like for God to be able to bless every nation through you? Yeah. Yeah. Does that sound good? Like God bless the nations through me. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. The good news is we have verse nine. So then those who are of faith, is there anyone in here of faith? Yes. yes. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you, see, do you hear what it says? Here's what it is. The same promise that God preached to Abraham that the nations would be blessed through him. 
right? I believe this happened when Abraham was making a covenant with God and God caused him to fall into a sleep. I think that's when God started showing him these things and preached the gospel to him. And here's what this says, that if you're a Gentile, you've been grafted in and now the blessing that's on Abraham is on you. And now all the nations can be blessed through you. And so I call this message becoming a way maker. Becoming a way maker because I think this is part of the gospel. I think this is part of what God's called us to. In that, like, let me help you. Immature faith, and, and we all start there, so don't be offended by that. Immature faith is only worried about what God can do for me. Right? God, can you bless me? Can you prosper me? Can you increase me? Can you heal me? And I'm not saying that God doesn't want to do those things at all. I'm just saying immature faith can't really see past yourself. You, you're just trying to get help here. But mature faith starts seeing generationally, right? So here is the man of faith, and all of a sudden, the gospel is preached that these people called Gentiles are actually going to come to faith because of what, what he's doing. He's making a way, or he made a way for us. Because if you're of faith, you're of the faith of Abraham. Like, we're living in Abraham's wake because he did what he did. See, his ceiling is our floor. We don't have to start where Abraham started. Same thing with Jesus. I don't have to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. I don't have to be hiding out in Egypt because someone's trying to kill me. I don't have to live a spotless life and fulfill all the law. And I don't have to be nailed to a cross and die. I don't have to start where he started. I get to start at the empty tomb. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in me and gives life to me, Romans 8, right? So we don't have to start where Jesus started. We get to start where he ended. And then he even says this, and greater works than these will you do. Oh, did you catch that? Here's what Jesus said, my floor, your ceiling. You're gonna do things I didn't even do because of what I've done. I've made a way. He was the way, right? He made a way for you and I. And I think that is part of the gospel. When we think generationally and we say, it's no longer about me, it's no longer about what's going on with me. And we start seeing beyond ourselves, beyond our home, beyond our family, beyond our job, beyond our bank account, beyond what we want. And we start saying, how do I create a wake so that those who come after me, like if you're in this room, if God has done something in your family, you've been baptized here, you've received Christ here, you're marriage has been restored here, God has spoken to you here, then you need to be thinking all those crazy 18 people that started this thing at the Ramada because they made a way for you here. And then the people at the Ramada gave sacrificially so we could move in here. They made a way for you here. And now what I'm saying, will you have faith to make a way for those who need the word of God, who need to be changed just the same way you were changed? I was in um, meetings last week and I was in, I was in, I'm trying. I was in last, I was in meetings last week. <laughs> I was in meetings last week at, at Gateway and we're, we're part of a network. So I was in a, a, a small room with a group of senior pastors and, and, and we were helping each other. And so they were talk, bringing up an issue and I'm like, you know, here's, here's the way I would look at that. And they said, you know, here's, here's probably what I do. And then say, have you considered um, doing this? And these pastors from all over the United States. And we took a break and this guy pulled me aside and uh, he was quite a bit older. And he said, he said, son, how old are you? And I said, I'm 40. And you just need to know me. Like in those environments, I love that. Like, I, you know, someday at the end of all of our campuses and church planning, I'm going to leave this to the next generation. And I'm just going to go around and father and consult all of our church planners and campuses. That's all I want to do, right? So when I'm like 65, Julie and I are going to move to Hawaii and, and then I'm going to come in and make a tour and we're going to go around and visit all the campuses and talk to, and I'm going to mentor and I'll Skype, you know, so we can stay in Hawaii and I will mentor because that's what I love to do. I love to solve problems and, and there's just, I, God has blessed me with wisdom, but, but I know why. And so this man who's quite a bit older or not quite a bit, but probably 15, 20 years older, he said, son, how old are you? And I said, I'm 40. He said, 40. He looked at me and he said, you don't know what I would give to have in my head what so easily seems to come out of your mouth. 
Now you need to know me. I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. Like I always have an opinion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but, but what he was, and, and I looked at him and I said, here's, here's what you need to understand. I said, see, because he had shared a, a bit of his story. I said, you got saved, you know, 20 years ago and 10 years ago you started a church, right? He said, yeah. I said, see, my grandfather was a pastor and my dad was a pastor. I was raised in a pastor's home. I remember when I was 19, my grandfather pulled my brother and I up uh, with my dad in our church and my grandfather and my dad laid hands on my brother and I and commanded the anointing and blessing that had been on their life to come on our lives. And I said, so see, I didn't have to start where you started. I didn't even have to start where I started. I get to start where they finished. And so I may have a hundred years of wisdom, but it's because someone made a way for me. And now everything that our church does and every blessing that I walk into, I am keenly aware that it is not because I'm good enough, smart enough, or have it all together. It is because I have a heritage of faith that as my family before me has walked in the calling and the purposes of God, they have created a way. Their floor has become my, my their ceiling has become my floor. And now I get to go farther and farther and farther because of what they did. They were way makers for me. And for, for us to do what God's called us to do, or better yet, for God to do what he wants to do through Pathway, I need some waymakers. I need some people who will make a way for the people coming behind us. And so I, I want to look at this passage in Luke chapter 5. To me, this is the best picture of this in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. This is where Peter gets uh, Jesus and Peter get acquainted um, it says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge, time out, because you should underline, like if you have a Bible you write in, you should underline that. If you don't have a Bible, you can write in, throw it away and get one you can write in and underline that. I'm just kidding. Give it to someone in need and find you one. <clears throat> and because here's what I feel like the Lord is saying. Pathway, you're on the edge of what I want to do. You're on the edge. Like there is a breaking, there's a breakover point. There's a tipping point. There's a point where potential energy becomes kinetic energy. If you run a business, you can figure out where your business breakover point is to where all of a sudden you break into profitability. There's always a, there's always an edge. And I felt like as I was reading this text, I underlined that in my Bible. Because I said, you know what, God, we're on the edge of what you want to do. So anyways, he said, <clears throat> he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Time out, time out. That's not a good sign. Okay. They weren't washing fish. Right. So, okay. We know in a minute, Peter says, we fished all night, caught nothing. Right. So not a good sign. Verse three, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who was called Peter. Um, I put that in there. His name was Simon. We know he was Peter. God did so much work in his life that he changed, his name changed. He was Simon Peter. And he's like, God's done so much. Like now I'm just Peter, right? Isn't that the testimony you want? God to do so much. It just changes your identity. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then, then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard, hard all night and haven't caught anything. And then he says this, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I want to talk to you about becoming a waymaker. You might want to write this down. The first thing is the calling of a waymaker. The calling of a waymaker. Um, this passage opens up, and we we have some interesting dynamics. First of all, we have a crowd of people. We have empty nets. We have the word, but we have no way for people to hear the word. Right. Th this is kind of where this story opens up. We have a crowd. We have empty nets. We have the word of God, literally Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the same was in the beginning, right? He was the word. But the word doesn't have a way, are you with me? For the people to hear him. And so to that, Jesus 
basically is recruiting Peter to say, could I use your boat? Because the people need the word and the word needs a way. I need a way maker. Crowds of people, they want to hear the word. I need a way maker. But let's talk about the condition of the calling. Because Jesus comes to Peter at not a high point. He was washing his nets. Let me help you with that. He was getting the fishing line that had gotten tangled up in the beer can. Right? And, and, and the grass. You know, he's getting all that stuff out of his... He's not getting fish out of his nets. He's getting all that stuff out of his nets. He is washing. He has fished all night and caught nothing. And if you're in the business of fishing and you fish all night and catch nothing, that's not only a bad night... That can be a bad week because that's his income, you understand. And so here Jesus comes. Now, Peter doesn't know Jesus. He's not sure who Jesus is. As far as he knows, Jesus is an evangelist like John. You know, like, hey, man, I, I, you know, I saw you on TV, like that John guy that eats locusts and wild honey, and, and I think you're cool and all. I got one of John's tapes. I'll maybe get your next series. Right now I'm washing my nets. It's interesting, too, that this takes place at the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret because that is not the highest place in Israel. Judging by elevation, it is the lowest place in Israel. It's interesting, at the lowest place in Israel, um, we don't know how many miracles Jesus actually did because John said it this way, if we were to record everything he did, there wouldn't be volumes enough to contain it. But we know the Gospels give us 37 miracles that Jesus did. And out of those 37 miracles, nearly half of them take place in the lowest place in Israel, which is the Sea of Galilee. It's not really even a sea. It's a lake. It's three miles by eight miles. Not really even a sea. Because I think it's symbolic because a lot of times what I've noticed about God is he seems to reveal his greatest glory in our lowest places. Like right now I'm here in Garth. I got friends in a place. No, I'm just saying. Like I, have you ever known, like you could be at the edge, like the edge, the place of your greatest frustration many times is the edge of your greatest breakthrough. And so Peter is getting this calling of being a way maker, but, but he's not getting it on the mountaintop. He's getting it in the valley. Isn't it the psalmist that said, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me? Isn't it interesting that most of the time we discern God's presence more clearly in the valley than we do on the mountaintop? That there's something God does in the dark place. There's something God does. You may be in a low place today, and I want you to know if you're in the low place, you're probably in the right place for God to reveal himself to you. Because when God calls us, things aren't always the best. When God calls us, like I've told you our story, right after we started the church, Julian lost everything financially. It wasn't the best time for us to be pastoring a church. But we certainly got to see God's glory, unlike any other season in our lives. And so here Peter is, he's in a low place. And God says, or Jesus says, hey, will you make a way? You know, a lot of people have wondered why God, why Jesus picked Peter. And if you think about it, it's a really good question. Because, I mean, he's, he, he's not a Bible school grad, not, not a rabbi. You know, we don't know how religious he is. We know he was Jewish and, and probably believed in God and, and, and probably knew the law and the prophets or something like that. But we also know Peter was emotionally unstable. He cut off a man's ear. Emotionally stable people don't cut off body parts of other people. We know, we know he cussed a lot, not Christian cuss words. We know he had this situation where he would talk and then think, but many times I think he just talked and didn't think and someone had to think for him. And people say, well, why did, why did Jesus pick Peter? And a lot of times people say, well, it's because Peter was so bold. 
Do you know why I think Jesus picked Peter? Because he had a boat. <laughs> the word needed a way. And Peter had a way. In fact, Jesus knew a lot of his ministry would be around the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. He was going to need a boat more than just this day. And I think he didn't necessarily call Peter because he was the greatest in the kingdom. He called Peter because Peter had something that he could use. The calling of a waymaker. Here, here's the second thing. Can, can, let me just say this before I give you the second point. Most of the time, all Jesus is looking for is permission to use your boat. Like if you want to do something great for God and you're trying to figure that out, let me help you. Just let him use what you have. Let me use, you know, I, I love the emails that I get and people that, that write and even people that are not even in our city, not even in our state that write because they, they have the podcast or whatever. But can I tell you my secret? I don't have a lot to offer, but I have this one thing. I'm not scared to get in front of people and tell them what I think God said. That's really all I have. Not a lot. You probably have more, right? You probably got better gifts, better abilities, better talents, more money, more influence. You know what I have? Not scared to talk in front of people. Like my son came home one day, uh, Briggs, and he said, Dad, Dad, I have an award for you. And that can go a lot of ways with Briggs. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm intrigued, obviously. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> but he said, today I learned that public speaking is like the number one fear people have, and you do it every week, multiple times a week. And so he said, I'm giving you the, the Courage Award. Yeah, it was sweet. It really was. But I, but I thought about it, and I'm like, you know, I know it's the number one fear of people. I don't feel like I'm courageous because it doesn't bother me at all. Because that's the way God made me, because that's my boat. Do you see what I'm saying? And most of the time, we're praying God use us, and, and really, all God's saying is, okay, would you give me permission to use your boat? So here's the second thing, second thing. So there's the calling of the waymaker. Then there's the collaboration, collaboration. Luke 5 verse 3 says, and Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, time out. If you read the Bible like you've always read the Bible, you probably missed what just happened. So to help you understand the equivalent of what just happened was if, if maybe after the service or any time this week, you just go get in someone's car and sit down. And when they show up, say, hey, you mind if I have the keys? Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't go up and say, hey, hey, um, excuse me, sir, what's your name? Well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm Peter. Hey, I'm Jesus. And listen, you know, there's a crowd of people here. And I was just wondering if maybe I could rent your boat or if you'd loan it to me. Or do you do tours? Do you do rentals? Anything like that? No, Jesus just crowd of people. Peter's washing his nets. Jesus literally just walks over and sits down in his boat. Right? And, and I'm sure Peter turns around like, <laughs> like, it's this incredible idea. So like, it, it, the equivalent is after service, whatever, just go get in someone's car. Nothing against a Pinto, but if you're going to jail, pick a nice car. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Nothing against for a Pinto, but if you have one, God bless you, it's amazing. But I'm just saying, I don't know if I go to jail for a Pinto, but a Maserati maybe, I don't know. So you understand what I'm saying? So just pick a real nice car and just get in it. And when the people come, if they don't mace you or shoot you, say, hey, could I borrow the keys? This is what Jesus said, he just gets... He just gets in his boat. I, ha I have people say all the time, you know, you know, God, Jesus, you know, he's a gentleman and, and, and he will stay out of your life. And, and let me help you with that. No, he's not. No, he's not. Jesus is invasive. He will get in your boat and then say, what are you going to do with me? 
You don't believe that? Like people's like, no, no, God leaves. No, 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 no. Because if you're in this room today, like here we are preaching the gospel, this man, Jesus, he is the Christ. He is the son of God. And he has just interjected himself into your boat. And when you leave here, you're going to have to decide, am I going to serve God or live for me? He has just gotten in your boat and said, what are you going to do with me? Like there were probably people trying to dodge this weekend because they're like, when was commitment weekend? I don't want to go on commitment weekend because I don't know how to make a commitment, right? And then they showed up and there's a commitment card. Jesus just got in your boat, said, what are you going to do with me? He is invasive. He loves to interject himself into your life and say, hey, what are you going to do with me? There was a Roman soldier when Jesus was being crucified and here's what he said. What then shall we do with Jesus? who is called the Christ. When the pilot, when the group said, no, we want Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Then this guy says, then what shall I do with Jesus? Who is called? And it's the same question. Jesus does. He interjects himself into your life says, what are you going to do with me? It's what he did with Peter. He just hops in his boat and says, what are you going to do with me? Because see, here's the thing. The creator desires to collaborate with his creation it's God's principle. It's not that God couldn't come down and tell the whole world to worship him or tell the whole world to pick whether they would worship him or not. But he has limited himself by principle. In that in the garden, God didn't come to the earth and say, I'm going to build my kingdom on it. He came to the earth and made Adam and said, I want you to build my kingdom on the earth. I want to collaborate with you. I want you to colonize the earth with heaven. We see the cooperation between God and Jesus. We see the cooperation between God and the disciples. I mean, all through the Bible, you have God cooperating or co-laboring with his creation for his purpose on the earth. See, the reality is we know from, from, I think it's Matthew 14, that Jesus actually doesn't need a boat if he wants to go across a, a lake. He can just suspend or create different buoyancy laws and just walk across the water. I mean, Jesus, as the crowd is pressing in, he could have just stepped back into the waves, or better yet, on the waves, and started moonwalking out a little bit. I think it had gotten their attention, quite frankly. And, and then he could have preached the gospel. He, it's not that he needs us. It's that he wants to use us. And sometimes we, we, because we know God is so powerful, we think, man, he's so powerful. He doesn't need me, but we forget while he doesn't need us, he wants to use us. And a lot of times we make, well, my boat's not that big. I mean, even Peter could say, you know, my boat, it's not that big. It's got some dings. The, the sail's a little tattered. I don't know. It's got a, got a problem with the rudder. You know, maybe it's got a hole in it and you need some flex seal. That stuff, apparently you can make a screen door into a boat with that stuff. <laughs> And we're not careful, we will excuse ourselves when God interjects himself and then we don't, see, we don't get to see the glory that comes when we partner with him. God, God wants to use us. Um, you know, um, I used to think, I used to think that when you read this, I thought, oh, at first, I thought, oh, um, Jesus needed Peter's boat. That's kind of what I've explained to you. Oh, he needed his boat. Peter had a, Peter had a boat. But, but when you think about the fact that Jesus could have just walked out in the water and started preaching, you realize he didn't really need his boat. See, it wasn't that Jesus needed Peter's boat as much as it was Peter needed Jesus' blessing on his boat. Right? It wasn't so much that, in fact, in fact, can I be honest? There were two boats. And when Jesus interjected himself in Peter's life and said, hey, can I use your boat? Peter could have said, you know what? Fished all night. I'm tired. I'm going to the house. I think my wife's cooking some bacon. And, and, and so, um, so no. And I think, and I think Jesus said, Okay. And stepped right over. The Bible said there were two boats on the edge and got in the other boat. See, when, when I talk about giving and the Bible talks about giving really and it talks about giving the tithe, you need to understand what's really, what God's really aiming at. 
it's, you know, because if we're naive, we think, well, I got to give my money so that the church can move forward. I got to give my money so that, that God can build buildings or whatever. And the truth of it is God's not like, I want you to give the money so I can bless you. I, I want you to give the money, not so we can build a building, but so that God can build your faith. It, it, it's not that God needs what I have. It's that I need his blessing on what I have. God wants to use me. See, every blessing of God comes, from, comes through faith. Grace is the means. That's the supply. Faith is how it comes. And when it comes to God, the crazy thing is we always move first. Like Peter had to say yes. Right? He had to say, yes, you can use my boat. Before the catch, he had, it'd been nice if Jesus said, fish, get in Peter's boat. And they just jumped out of the sea and got in his boat. And then Peter went, whoa, what a great catch. And then Jesus could have said, now, could I use your boat? Now, everybody'd sign up for that deal. But the Bible always says, we, we sow first. We obey first. We give first. It doesn't say, it shall be given, and then you can give. It says, give, and it will be that's just the reality of it, that, that obedience and faith is about us moving first. And, and then when, when we step in faith, then grace brings the supply. And, and then that supply actually moves through us. And this gets us to point three, the blessing. The blessing of a way maker. Um, Luke 5 verse 4 says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Don't you think at this point, I don't know about you. I was having another conversation with one of my pastors around table when he was talking about a man in his church who uh, they had, his, he has a structure like ours. So he has an elder governed structure and the elders had made decisions. This man in the church came up and said, I don't think I like these decisions. And, and he was talking to me and, and he said, what, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I can tell you what, what I would have said, which is dangerous. But I said, what, what was the business the guy's in? He said, well, he was in this business. And I said, well, I would just said, you know, hey, Fred, um, Monday I'm going to come down to your business and see if I like everything that goes on there. And then I'm going to tell you how you could run your business differently. He's, I said, what do you think he'd have said to that? He said, he said no, you're crazy. I said, then I would have said, then I guess, Fred, when it comes to running the church, God has appointed a group of men. And Fred, this is that moment where you're going to have to trust us or not. Like we made this decision as a group of elders and you just gonna have to trust us. How can I help you have peace with it? Right? And, and he's like, oh, that's good. You know, that's, that's good. So, but, but I could imagine when Jesus came to tell Peter, all right, let's go out and, and drop our nets. I would think Peter had a similar experience. Like, are you a fisherman? Let me explain some things about fishing, Jesus. See, I, you know, because he didn't know Jesus created the fish, right? So like Jesus didn't need a depth finder or a fish finder because he created them. He probably tagged them. He knew where they were. So, so I think Peter had a similar experience of like, um, I know you're a good evangelist, obviously. Uh, the people loved your message and I even got some things out of it, but I don't know. Do you have any experience fishing? Because the time that we fish is already long past and where you're telling us to go, the fish wouldn't even be there anyway. You know what I love about faith? God will bless faith even if you have a bad attitude. Okay. This is one time I was like 21 years old. I was working for a church and it wasn't like our church. We, we pay our staff well. We try to, to, to bless them. We don't try to take advantage of anyone. And so, um, but the church I worked for was run by a tyrant and they didn't have those values. And so I was working like 80 hours, literally, I was working like 80 hours a week for $18,000 a year. Yeah, which is now, I think you can be thrown in jail if you work people like that. I don't think that's employment. I think that's slavery. But anyways, um, and so, and so um, but, but I, I, short story, um, I heard about a car that was for sale and they wanted $2,500 for the car and I thought that car's got to be worth $4,000. And so I thought, I'm going to go buy the car and make some extra money. And so I went and got there and I asked the guy, I said, hey, man, what's, what's your lowest dollar on this car? And he's like, well, if you want to buy it today, I'll just sell it to you for $2,000. I'm like, great. I paid him. Seven days later, sold that car. Or eight days later, sold that car um, for 
$3,900. So like I'm stoked because when you make $18,000 a year, you can do the math. That was basically a month's income I just made right there in a week, right? And, and so I'm like pumped and I'm so pumped and I've always tithed, always been generous. And so I, I got so excited. I'm like, I'm going to double tithe. I'm giving 20%. God, you have blessed me. I'm giving 20%. And so I round up. So a tithe would have been $200 because I made $1,900. So I round up $200. And so I gave $400. I was so excited. And then Monday came and I was meeting with God and God said, hey, I want to talk to you about that. And I'm like, oh, let's talk about it. You got to be as proud as I am about that. <laughs> and so I sit down with God and God says, well, you didn't really ask me what I wanted you to give. I'm like, God, you know, I'm reading the Bible. It says the first 10%. I gave you the first 20%. Like, what else do you want? It... It's a question we should only ask if we want to move on to maturity. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody might say, well, that's a dumb question. No, it's, a, it's the right question if you want to move to maturity. It's just not a fun question. And God said, I want you to give me $1,000. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll write a $600 check and that will be $1,000. He said, no, 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 you're not. You're not following straight. I want you to write a $1,000 check. Well, I don't know if you're good with math, but if my profit was 19 and I gave 400 and then gave 1,000, I would only have 500 left out of my $1,900. I didn't have the best attitude. And I, and I did, I know you've never done this, but I started explaining to God my situation as though the omniscient one didn't actually, all, didn't actually know everything, Right? Like, I maybe don't understand. This is, they pay me peanuts. They work me like this. I'm only doing this because I love you. And then I have this opportunity for increase in blessing. And now you're, you're, you're taking all of it. Like, okay, God, now this all happened like a second. And I know it was really, I would tell you I was praying, but truthfully, I was griping. And I know you never do that. I know you never get those two confused. And then God in a whisper said something to me. He said, he said, if you'll give me this $1,000, I will break the curse of poverty off your life and you'll always have a blessing for increase. And then all of a sudden I have better attitude. <laughs> At that point, it seemed like a good investment. But I'm just saying, God, God will bless obedience. Sometimes even we don't have the best attitude. Do you know what faith is? Faith, faith is when you launch out into the deep even when it doesn't make sense and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, right? And you do it because Jesus said so. Because Peter said, Jesus, you know, we've <laughs> fished all night, caught nothing. You want us to launch out? And then he said, but because you say so, we'll launch out. That's faith. Yes. I had a, Julie and I had a really proud parent moment this week um, because, you know, in our life groups, we've been going through the life group curriculum together. And our high school students um, in the shift life group have been going through that as well. And so our son's been a part of that. And so he came in last Sunday night because they meet on Sundays. And he came in last Sunday night and said, Mom, Dad, I want to talk to you. And, and uh, he's been saving up money for a car because he's 16 and 16-year-olds 16 like cars, right? And so I started preaching the gospel to him when he was about 13 saying, every dollar you put in savings account, then I will match it. And then, you know, that's how you'll get a car. So I've been preaching that gospel for three years, but he's been a believer about a year and a half. And so he's, <laughs> how many you know when you're a teenager, there's all these other things you want to. And then, but, but all of a sudden, like I can remember, I don't know, a year ago, whenever it was, uh, I said, son, how's your account doing? He said, well, dad, I got $800. And I, if you match it, that's 1600. What kind of car could I get for that? And I said, well, you could get a car. It probably wouldn't have a motor. But, but you could get a car, you know, and so, but man, he has gone to work and just working hard, taking odd jobs, working for his papa, manual labor, you know, working every way that he can. And he's been storing up money in that account. And so he came in, um, this, this last Saturday and, uh, he said, um, in fact, we had this conversation. He said, Dad, I now have this much money. If you match it, I'll have this much money. Could I get a car? I'm like, yeah, you could actually get a car with a motor. I mean, like, 
But there's car he wants, and so he's still saving. But he came in Sunday, and he said, you know, uh, Mom and Dad, when, when we were talking in shift, we were talking about what Dad said. And he said, if it's in danger, it's bad when your kids quote you. Um, but he said, if it's in danger, if it's difficult to put on the altar, it's in danger of becoming an idol. And he said, I, th I think my car's getting the wrong place in my heart. And he said, so I'm going to give all of my car money away to arise because I think that's what God's called me to do. Now, yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, so Julie and I, we wanted him to be very confident in his decision. So we said, you know, you just came from shift. Why don't we all pray about it this week? And so we've been praying about it. He's been praying about it. Julie and I talked about it. Um, you know, and what we say is, hey, we're all for it. Like, you know, we, we know, we know from our experience, whatever you hang on to, you will lose. But whatever you put in God's hand, you can never lose. Like, we know that. And we want him to have his own story, his own experience. And so Thursday night, um, <clears throat> Thursday night, we were at, Luke and I go to coffee on Thursday nights. And so we were having coffee night. And um, I, I said, you know, son, how are you feeling about that? And he said, Dad, it's the right thing to do. It's what I need to do. He said, in fact, um, he said, God gave me a very specific amount. And I'm a little bit short, but if I go get, uh, he had where he'd gotten paid for a recent job with his papaw and some other things in his room. He said, if I gather up everything I have in my room and add to it, it should be pretty close to that exact amount. But that's the amount I need to give. And I said, so you feeling good about it? He said, you know, Dad, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know this is what I need to do. And I said, faith <laughs> is launching out in the deep when you don't know how it's going to turn out because Jesus said so. That's what faith is. It's all Jesus asked for any of us. You see, obedience always unlocks inheritance. Um, you see, before Peter obeys Jesus, his problem <laughs> was empty nets. But after he obeys him, let's, let's read this. Luke 5, verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Before he obeyed Jesus, biggest problem, empty nets. After he obeyed Jesus, biggest problem, sinking boats. How many would take the biggest problem of the sinking boats right now? You sign me up, Jesus. I'm tired of empty nets. I want sinking boats. You see, there are two types of people in this story. Two groups, I should say. Um, the first group is the crowd of people. They came to hear the word. They came to receive the word. And, and first of all, you should always applaud that. It's the same, by the way, same two groups of people that are in our church. Um, you have a weekend like Easter, people come to hear the word. And we add services and pack them out. And, and even on the weekends, people come to hear the word. They come to hear the word. We celebrate that. Hear the word. Let the word bless you. Let the word change you. We celebrate that. And so there's, there's the crowd. And then out of that crowd, or in that crowd, and out of that crowd, there's a crew. See, Jesus, Peter, whether it was voluntary or involuntary, he ended up in the crowd. And then Jesus gave him an opportunity to become the crew. In our church, we have a crowd, but we also have a crew. They're the dream team. They're the owners. They're the givers. They're the people that when the AC kicks on, you say, thank you. They're the people that when you have a padded seat, you say, thank you. They're the people that escort you in and keep your children so you can come in here and they preach the gospel to your little ones while I'm trying to preach the gospel to you. They're the people that show up at two o'clock on Saturday and make sure everything's working so that we can have a worship experience. They're the people behind the cameras and, and in the booth and the people in the toddlers. Say a prayer for the toddler people. Because you know you don't want to be in a room with like 15 two-year-olds. They're the crew. They're the people who have said, we heard the word, but you can use what we have. 
You can use our boat. You can use, see, see here, here's the difference. And this is why I want everyone to be on the crew. I want everyone to give. I want everyone to serve. I want everyone to be planted because listen, the crowd gets the word and that's good. It's transforming. It's encouraging. It's life changing. The crowd gets the word, but the crew gets the miracle. The crew is the one saying, hey, our boat is sinking. Can we put some of our blessing in your boat? The crowd gets to, that's what it means to be a way maker, to have, to join the crew and let God use you in such a way it starts blessing others. It's what Abraham was, a way maker. Let me pick up the story again. In verse eight of Luke chapter five, it says, when Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And this is the only response to grace, by the way. Like if you look at the grace of Jesus as a way to go live your life and, and hope it all works out in the end, you, you haven't received grace. You've received heresy. The real response to grace is when you realize that Everything Jesus comes is by everything he does is by grace and he pours it out freely on you. There's only one response, you fall at his feet. And so Peter said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. See, I told you he didn't believe they were gonna catch anything. He was just doing what Jesus said. Verse 10, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, watch this, don't be afraid because now you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats. Now watch this, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. Do you want to really, do you want to know what the real blessing of a way maker is? Because if, if you're, Looking at it one way, you, you might think the blessing of the waymaker is the catch. You might think it's the fish. Like, oh, they made a way and Jesus blessed them with a big catch of fish. So much so they were sinking boats, they had to get help. But then all of a sudden they walk away from the biggest catch they had ever had. You see, the blessing of a waymaker is not the fish, it's the favor. See, I doubt that when Peter signed on to be the crew for this three-hour tour, this three-hour tour, I doubt when he signed on for this three-hour tour that he had any idea that the three-hour tour to the biggest catch he'd ever had, that he'd end up walking away from that to step into a three-year tour of watching miracle after miracle with the Messiah. I doubt when, when Peter let Jesus on his boat, he had any idea that he would use that boat to transport the Messiah back and forth across the Sea of Galilee to perform miracle after miracle and to hear gospel message after. I doubt he, I doubt he believed he would see the dead raised and blind eyes open and that, that they would feed thousands of people with somebody's Long John Silver's Happy Meal kind of thing. I doubt he had any idea that this fisherman that he was would become the rock that the church would be built on and that this fisherman would preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost and watch 3,000 people come to know Christ. He didn't know all of that. He didn't know all that. He just said, okay, I'll launch out of the deep when I don't understand and I'll see what you do. And a three-hour tour turned into a big catch of fish, but then Peter was wise enough to realize, oh, the blessing here isn't the fish. The blessing is I was favored with the presence of the Messiah who wanted to use my boat and now I can surrender the fish and all that I have for what God wants to do in me and through me for the rest of my life. It's not the fish I'm after. It's the faith. I don't give because I want more money. I give because I want to bless and I want to give and I want God's favor on my life. I want to see what God can do through me, not see what God can do for me. Faith 
pushing out into the deep when you don't know how it's going to turn out. That's really what we're doing here as a church. I have no idea where we're going to be at week seven. I know what it costs to build the building. I know what it costs to run the church. I know what we're going to give away. We're just launching out into the deep together. The question for all of us today, simple question. Can Jesus use your boat? Do you want to step out of the crowd and be the crew? Can he use your boat? Whatever you have, can he use it? Can he use you? That's really the question we're answering today. Do, do we, can we see far enough down the road? Can we think generationally enough to think about the children that will receive Christ to think about the marriages that will be restored, to think about the bodies that will be healed, to think about the school ministry people who will be sent around the world to preach the gospel. Can we in this room right now think beyond where we're at and say, hey, people made a way for me. I was thinking about this picture you and I have, and, and it may be in here somewhere, but it's the 18 people praying over our first service in the Ramada. It's the Waymakers. People said, hey, we're going to launch out. We don't know if anybody's coming. We're just going to launch out. And then the people at the Ramada, they launched out and we got here. And now this is where we say, hey, are we going to make a way for those who come after us? Jesus, hey, he could probably do it without us. In fact, he can. He's all powerful. But right now, he's interjected himself in our life. He sat down in our boat, and he's saying, hey, I, hey, Pathway, I'd really like to use y'all. Will y'all launch out into the deep? Even if it doesn't make sense, if you don't understand, and if you're not sure how it's going to turn out, will you just launch out in the deep? And for me, I'm saying, yeah, we will. We'll launch out. We'll launch out. We'll see what you want to do. Do you want to see what God can do through you?